in this episode. So the number one franchise in the universe is... Revenge of the 80s Kids. Thank God I was sitting down when you said that, Leo. It's reshaped how I view the world. Oh my God. I mean... I believe in Santa Claus. (laughs) Which uh, may as well have been called Sweet Jesus. Apparently this is the best thing to ever happen to anybody ever. It's about a group of sort of drifter 'er ne'er-do-wells. Who who like Marvel or like Star Wars. Maybe it's got artistic merit, but really we just want to make money. Also, they they can do it from the comfort of their own home in their own personal audio studio. That's not rocket surgery, guys, but you wouldn't believe it to look at them. They're also hugely debt as well, which is another... That's going to come a reckoning to that one day too. No, it's a very, it's a bit of a trudge. What are you going to do to revive the fortunes of your flagging super channel? What they've got me for at the moment is the fact that um, they've had enough content previously and I've had not a lot to do that I may as well keep going on. Don't feel guilty about it. Well, I was only really planning one series. I suppose I'll have to do a second one now. Get your reboot at some point. As Slashdot famously says, nothing of value was lost. Any view of things that is not strange is false. Leo, I have a problem. Uh, I think I may have shifted into an alternate universe, which I do not fully comprehend. Uh, Some bizarre thing is going on where everyone is obsessed about a foreign language television program about people with uh, PlayStation symbols on their faces slowly murdering poor people. Apparently this is the best thing to ever happen to anybody ever, and Netflix is the greatest thing imaginable. Clearly, I am in Bizarroverse, because Netflix is shit. Discuss. Uh, well, Netflix may or may not be shit, but Netflix, um, up until the ad... Well, here's a, here's a thing. Squid Game. Is this proof that Netflix is not screwed, or proof that it really is? Because, honestly, nobody was expecting the Squid Game thing. Like, have they got, have they got, they got Spongebob on their, sh- on their channel now? My God. Um, I mean, it, it's just the Squid Game thing has taken everyone, including the people who made Squid Game, by surprise. And the big problem with something like that is that it is impossible to bottle that lightning. Like, I mean, they don't know why people... Because the thing is, there was a little show, a little Japanese show. Um, it was a Korean drama, uh, not exactly the same, but um, last Christmas uh, called Sweet Home which uh, may as well have been called Sweet Jesus because uh, it looked like it was going to be yet another Asian zombie series, of which there are a few, 
you know, like an Asian ripoff of the the uh, the Walking Dead or something. And it was like, oh, go on then, let's see what this is like. And oh my God, I mean, so far from the truth about that show. It starts out like some sort of pandemic zombie thing. Then the zombies are not zombies. They're like gigantic mutants. Um, like people turn into like weird that seem to have some sort of a hive mind or actually be like sort of some crazy steroid aggressive. Uh, you just have to watch it. It is nuts and it never, it never goes the direction that you're thinking going. I'm one of the very few people to love it. There are a lot of, I mean, people who watch it tend to love it, but people weren't. I mean, you know, it was, when you find that people are not queuing up to watch some obscure Korean horror drama in the in the Western world, you're like, well, you know, what do you want? After that, so into that, watched a Japanese show called Alice in Borderland, which, and stop me if you've heard this, is about a group of sort of drifter ne'er-do-wells who end up partaking in some weird kind of Hunger Games-esque game thing where every day they get a new challenge but actually there was a, the rules are slightly different to the squid game but not by much and in fact the format of the show tended to support the idea that they were continuing uh, to, to sort of play this this game in the same way that squid game did and you know there's all their sort of well there's stuff going on underneath and how are they managing it and all of these questions and the, the characters are kind of similar and people you know it, it was kind of a bit more popular than sweet home but it was certainly nowhere near as popular as squid game although i did note today that alice in borderland is now number 10 in television in the uk nearly a year after its initial release so people who've watched Squid Game are now being urged to watch Alice in Borderland if they have not already done so. We're going to have all the knockoffs, aren't we? We're going to have murder porn game shows, Nanza happening now. I mean, honestly, this this I feel is like kind of like the, the biggest kind of detriment, condemnation of, of Netflix is with all their resources and all their creativity and all the talent that they have, that essentially importing things from foreign language markets on the, the, the pick of the best is 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 honestly the, the highlight for them i mean sure they're rubbing their hands about all the views and hits and stuff they're getting because of squid game but it's like netflix you should be able to do you should be able to winning this with your home team let's uh, take a pause there uh, to do the icebreaker for this show although to be fair squid game uh, which is probably one of its virtues has already broken the ice quite well enough but relative to this what show or movie announcement would uh, surprise stroke delight you if it came to you that this you know this thing is coming direct to streaming uh, what would what delight and surprise like if somebody if they announced something what announcement would be like oh wow this is fantastic I must instantly. Well, the, the problem is, of course, to get to get pre-excited before you've seen something, it has to be sort of a known a known commodity. Well, yes, no, and, but they, I mean, this is fine. They do. Netflix are doing a Sandman series, which I shall talk more about probably later. Well, it had to be some sort of property I was deeply invested in. But the thing is, the adaptations always terribly tricky, especially if you're taking them from a book series or comic book series, because obviously you have a very 
a personal relationship with those and your own imagination of what it was like and then they'd, someone else has their take on it uh, with the restrictions of budget and reality and it's, it's, it's never quite good. And, you know, Netflix adaptation of an anime is a meme. Uh, so uh, it's hard to say exactly. What were you thinking of? I just asked the question. I've got to answer it as well, by the way, but I thought I'd let you have a stab first. I mean, there's so many, so many things that kind of swing and misses these days. It's honestly, you do have to wait around for a good word of mouth and then you could hop on the bandwagon. You know what? I mean, I have a similar problem to you, but not exactly the same. In that a lot of my things where it's like, that's crazy, that'll never happen. Things like, you know, like 10 years ago, uh, even 10 years ago, I mean, like, well, I suppose it'd be good if Doctor Strange came to the MCU, but I don't think they'll get around to that for a while. And blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I'd love to see a She-Hulk uh, film or series, but I'm down. That's going. Oh yeah, that's coming next year. And it, so I have a thing with it. And, and indeed, Sandman Netflix adaptation, which I was just talking about, doesn't look entirely horrible. And the Audible uh, version that they they've done, which has much better. As Neil Gaiman explained, the problem is transplanting the cast of the Audible. Sandman into television series, high concept television series, is that the price for the actors would bankrupt a television budget because they really had, you know, a lot of heavyweights. But audio is different because you can book around people's schedules so you get people cheap because it's it's easier for them. They don't have to wear funny costumes and be in the same place as someone else. Also, they, they can do it from the comfort of their own home in their own personal audio studio. They so. can do that as well, yeah. So, you know, having James McAvoy as Dream is great, but he's too expensive for television. But the fact is that all the stuff I've seen for it gives me hope. I mean, at one point I would be like, please don't ever do this because it will be horrible. But I, I, I'm I mean, coming around it, it does have the... It, it does have the grace that Neil Gaiman is actually attached to it, which, so, uh, which, is, which yeah. gives you something. So my answer to the actual question is the thing that would delight me is if somebody finally, finally made that Pleasantville series, and I would guess Prime, Amazon Prime would be the people to do this. Or at least I don't think they would be necessarily the best people to do it. But Pleasantville, the movie from the like, 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, no, late 90s, with right. Reese Witherspoon and uh, Tobey Maguire, which I always I feel that it's a bit like it's a bit like when people saw Serenity after they'd seen Firefly, they were like, it's a bit like they took a whole season of, of Firefly and compressed it down into a couple of hours. Well, Pleasant feels like that, but it feels like that without actually there being a television series of it so it's a bit hard for some people to get it the more i watch it the more yeah, but, I... but can, can you can you can you stretch out the concept of pleasantville oh and, you really could are you going to have any new twists on what you didn't say last oh yeah time? no there's lots also of, can yeah, you keep no, it cl lots. clear clear of the woke you know uh the fact of the matter is that the actual well i mean uh, I'm going to institute the same rule that, uh, and I haven't even been listening to Komodo Mayo recently, due to the fact that while the cinemas are on lowdown, I, I, I think they they find it really hard to fill. But um, they've just said anytime someone says woke, they just that's the end of the conversation. It's a conversation ender because the kind of people who criticise things for being woke have a bad faith agenda. 
And so now we've discovered the tactic. To explain what we mean by woke, because obviously I have no objection to diverse casting or anything like that, or strong, powerful women, anything of that nature. And something is woke. You know, Leo, how we all hate Nazis, and Nazis were bad guys. We understood Nazis were bad guys. I think woke agenda, someone who's doing it woke, they want to be congratulated for hating Nazis. They want to be congratulated for having a diverse cast. We all know Mark, these days where uh, critics will give something more points or the virtue of what they can see on the poster. And, and so it's no longer about what the content of what is actually there. And I think I, I'm of generation like where it's all about characters and story. And that's the thing you're interested in. Obviously the presentation matters as well. And, and these are the factors that really matter to me. And all this sort of like praising yourself for the arrangement of what you place there, it seems besides the point. If you want to mark something down for being lack of diversity, we could say that's our social mores these days. But to praise something for having things we've already had for several decades already, it just feels like, oh, get over it. Just, just, just have a good story and have some good characters. I don't, I, I feel like you're trying to get some praise and awards purely by the virtue of who you've cast or the uh, ethnicity arrangement or the people behind the screen who made it. It was like, well, we should be completely unaware of that. It shouldn't even matter. I mean, if, this, this is what irritates me about it. And well, I think, well, okay, my, my, what irritates me about all of that is that, as someone pointed out, the idea of being woke was originally a sort of, I mean, it makes more sense uh, in this context, is that it's, it's black people saying, look, you've always got to be aware of the agenda of uh, systemic racism. Like, that's what being constantly on your guard and aware that that is happening is an understanding that it's not fair and it's not your fault blah 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 but it's still gonna happen if you are in that state of awareness all the time you never forget you never stop being vigilant about the fact that you are in that system you are woke that's what it was and it got co-opted uh, and, and in fact it's people making that complaint I mean, I can't think of a single, single example of what, what you're saying of people actually actively asking to be praised or... No, no, it is, uh, it, because that's how and how, how press goes and how, how news is aggregated uh, and, and these things always, always generally... Well, I don't want to get into it because it is, it is deep, deep blamange and it, it, can, it usually, usually results in arguments and I have seen the severings of friendships and it's just like... Can we just like talk about characters and good stories and oh, yeah. excellent production values? And I feel this is this is something I mean, my own political views, and I I am kind of assuming that you're largely of the same, and the thing we all want to go for is like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to live in a society where everyone is treated the same and we'll live under the same rules and everyone is judged on their own merits uh, and all these classifications and subdivisions are utterly irrelevant, really about who you sleep with or don't sleep with or whatever or what you identify as let's just all be uh, people and people can have character and integrity uh, of themselves and it's it's just this sense that uh, of of constantly having the, the talking points they talk about the things you need to be aware of well things you need to be aware of are just permeate throughout everything these days like we just just watch a, a program about some guys want to rob a bank or something I and think... and so there we come back to the komodo mayo policy of just saying hey if somebody says, hey, this is drifting, yeah, this such and such is woke or such and such that, blah, 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 that's the end of the conversation. Works perfectly. People talk about woke. They're talking about 
being taken out of the drama because suddenly they're aware that there is a political message which they're receiving and must be understood. And the problem with that is, not only does it take out the drama, it can also make drama predictable. Yeah. And ironically, that interpretation of the word is uh, cultural misappropriation. So, the end. I don't follow. Well, because that's not what it means. I explained what it meant well, earlier. Well, whatever. So. Well, when people, the thing is to say, well, uh, well you, you've used a word on my bingo card, which means I can ignore your complaint. You see how this is blamange is just awful because it means people don't talk to each other or communicate and just take and just take rigid sides and condemn the other side. It is utter blamange and you are wobbling, Leo. I don't want this conversation discussion. I just don't want to have it with my friends because it results in arguments. I wasn't. I was just saying. I, did, I mean, it, 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 I've never had a conversation with anyone where it came up that something was too woke, and I'm like, okay, well then, I don't know what to say to you anymore. Seriously, you never watched anything and thought, "Oh, this is this is a bit too PC." Mm, no. Okay. Not, not, I, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't watched the right or stroke wrong things. But I just uh, oh, there have been things that have been disappointing for other reasons, but not because they're you know uh, too PC. I don't know what that is. So I. I I'd have to see it to know it, and I've never seen it. I, I, I would define it as, uh, it, in some sense, peacocking about uh, how, how good your politics are. Uh, yeah, so perform that would be my yeah. Performative, uh, performative actions are always irritating. That's, that's that, that'll, that'll be my, my definition, and with that on the tin, uh, Netflix yeah. is obviously, as I would say, a, a fairly, fairly progressive uh, channel. I mean, I think they're having implemented a, a fairly strong policy of you, you can't even have you've got to have racial diversity amongst even the top three people running a TV show as showrunners so if, if you have okay a I, did, I was not aware of that so. So. Let's say it's it's like it's at the end of the day the TV viewers uh, I don't think they necessarily want to care about what happened behind the screens it's the one thing that just had a good time and were treated well and everyone, everyone it was all nice and everything but I, I don't think they they want to go, you know check the skin color of everyone behind the screen to make sure it wasn't was wasn't uh, you know too much whiteness behind the screens like they just want to take entertainment and enjoy it or not enjoy it and and that's what I feel is a bit uh, racial profiling your employees is a bit meh just hire people because they're good and they have record and they make good stuff for people to enjoy anyway. I don't want yeah, to put I, on. I mean, that's a, that's a completely yeah, it's a completely different issue, which is a bit harder. I'm not really stressed about people not, you know, listening to my message because well, I'm a 46-year-old white man. I think people have heard from 46-year-old white men before. So if they don't do, you know, if people are not really that interested in my stuff, oh, geez. I'm not feeling that the world is missing out on much. You know, I, are we even doing a podcast? That's a few things. Uh, I do it because I like to do it and not because I really wish people would uh, hang on my opinions because if they do then that's fine but I do not feel that I am not represented elsewhere my you know, well, worldview is represented amply in a lot of places so it is what it is I have the luxury even that is white privilege isn't that crazy even I have the uh, have the uh, uh, privilege of just being able to go. Do you know what? I don't need to strive because other people have already done this job for me. Uh, so. No, you're 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 living you're living in 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 the UK, 
which is a European country, which is yeah. mostly white people. So it's unsurprising that, that the vast majority of the culture you grew up in was, was uh, largely done for, for white people by, by white people. And it's like, but it's the same all over the world. Uh, well, same all over the Western world, yeah. I'm just saying, it, well, this is this, this is this is Britain in particular. So, and and BBC is, is quite good good at pushing uh, for uh, greater diversity and uh, things. So it's just like, well, we don't have to feel guilty about it just because we live in the UK. This, no. this, this is where we are. Japan, it's all for Japanese people, and no one wags the finger at them. That's just that's just my kind of like. Problem. America might have an issue. I don't think necessarily needs to feel embarrassed about the fact it was a lot of its culture was developed by white people. It seems to be how it should have, would have been. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would just yeah. All I'm saying is that uh, you know, I I don't feel that. Yeah, I just feel that it's like you know, you know, I can I can get away with. I I don't mind other people being given uh, a platform uh-huh. when they traditionally don't don't feel guilt don't feel guilty about it. I didn't know. I, I was saying I just feel I don't have a problem. Seems, you seem slightly embarrassed about it. I don't know. Uh, no, I'm just like I think I would like to see more uh, more stuff coming on places where people traditionally haven't had voices. I like it. So I'm just a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan. I mean, you know. Let us, let us proceed down the checklist of subjects. Yeah, let us do this. Yeah, well, weirdly, uh, as a sort of sidebar to this, let's have a look. You know, since Disney. Right, so the first thing that I would like to uh, enter into evidence as Netflix maybe being a bit screwed is um, Disney Plus. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's a complete iceberg, and the Netflix is the Titanic. Yeah. So let's see Disney Plus. They went global in March of 2020. So US had it months earlier, but it started rolling out big style March of 2020. That's when Europe got it, and then you know other people followed shortly thereafter. And since that time, so this is you know two years. We're two years. We're not even. We're not even two years. We're 21 months. Well, actually, we're not yeah. for another couple of months. We're 19 months from the time we've had two seasons of live-action Star Wars show, which um, has got universal praise, more or less. I mean, even the wife likes it, and she hates Star Wars, so there we go. Baby Yoda again. Three three live-action Marvel shows, one more to drop before year's end, one coming early next year. Uh, Two animated Marvel shows, if you count MODOK, which um, I do because I liked MODOK. Uh, two Pixar features, Soul and Luca. And Luca was the first time in ages that they haven't made me cry in a movie. And it's a bit weird. It's a very low-key Pixar movie to the extent that I'd almost forgotten about it right now. But it still counts because it was still delightful. But it just didn't have the emotional punch of the previous entries. But it was no good dinosaur. So that's great too. Two live-action Disney animated remake movies, Mulan and Cruella. Uh, one live-action MCU movie, Black Widow, two live-action Disney movies, Aftermath Fowl and Jungle Cruise. So uh, all of these, uh, whether you had to pay any money or not. Um, and of course, uh, I forgot to mention Raya and the Last Dragon in there, which is like their proper, like, this is a Disney animation content thing. So all of these things have dropped within the last two years, all on Disney Plus uh, fairly shortly after. We've got Shang-Chi. That's coming November 12th to the full stream. That's going to go straight to um, just normal streaming, no premiere access phase on Shang-Chi, 
whatsoever, um, which presumably means that by February next year we'll have Eternals on there. I don't know what the fate of the Spider-Man movie is, but by the time we go to two years, we'll have a lot of stuff on there that is just like primo stuff. So they've got all this other, and then they've got a lot of other content as well. And by comparison, Netflix has Witcher. Oh, the Witcher you, is a big, it's a big name. In, in, suppose you could, because, because of the video game series. Yeah, I suppose you could count the Umbrella Academy. I still haven't made way for the second season of that. No, it's a very, it's a bit of a trudge. If you're not, if and if you're not really like into Klaus, I don't know if you are, then what's the end of it? Plenty of Klaus in it. If you're not really, you know, as the meme went, who is your favourite member of the Umbrella Academy and why is it Klaus? Uh, yeah. Um, if you're not, if you're not a big fan of Klaus, then really there isn't much else to watch it for. To be honest, actually no, that's not quite fair. Um, number six is that his name? Little kid one. He's quite funny as well. So essentially, they haven't really yeah. done. What you're talking about here is is IPs. And I'm talking about franchises. Yes, well, I, yes, IPs, franchises, um, and obviously when Netflix was was the only one doing this and ahead of the game for years, uh, it was a behemoth of growth and growth and growth. Now everyone realizes there's huge pots of money to be made in streaming and it is the future and it's everyone's known this was coming for a while. So now everyone's scrabbling to get their own thing, and of course they're losing all their IPs and channels. So Disney obviously has made a business of cultivating IPs. They were they were actually terrified about you know big tech just being able to gobble Disney up because big tech was just so ludicrously rich, which is why they went through a mad phase of just acquiring every other goddamn studio they could to try and consolidate known IPs under 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 one umbrella. Another have a, a digital streaming channel to churn it out. And you know, as fanboys uh, who, who like Marvel or like Star Wars, this is exactly what we want. Uh, this is great for us, things to get very excited about. And also, because these things are just ongoing, it's, it's like the, the whole the whole Marvel MCU thing it was building momentum. It was constant excitement. Uh, speculation about where things are going, arcs that transcend series, feverish speculations. We get very excited because we can sit down and just imagine all the exciting things they can do with all the, all the arranged parts they've given us. Whereas Netflix had a very different philosophy even in its heyday. And you may notice that even with their hits, they're sort of the sort of, when they were doing Marvel stuff, for example, well, their, their philosophy about any TV series was it's TV series are there for growth. And so uh, they would only really have like three seasons of something because uh, after three seasons, anyone who's going to subscribe to your channel to watch that show has already done so. So we have to move on to something else. So they, they can't build momentum on the series that they have. And they no longer have any huge IPs that they once did. That's just kind of how I'm seeing it. This is how I think they're going to become a, a bit of a desert. They're also hugely in debt as well, which is the never that's going to come a reckoning to that one day too. Well, here's an interesting thing because I'm going to now run you through the top ten franchises uh, in the world as of this year, which I, I scanned off a list on the internet, as is usually the case with research these days. But the good thing about the research doing it that way, if I was researching like medical information or something, maybe you could say this podcast was a bit sketchy for that. But because it's about popular entertainment, thankfully the information is good. 
Uh, so the number one <laughs> franchise in the universe of uh, Western culture at the moment, in fact, in the world in terms of the money it's made, because Western culture kind of has a bit of a lead on that, is, oh God, this is not going to surprise anyone, is it? It's the MCU. They, they It is the biggest franchise. Thank God I was sitting down when you said that, Leo. Yeah, I know. It's big shocks there. Reshape how I view the world. Uh, so then number two, this is not going to surprise anyone either, Star Wars. Number three is uh, the Wizarding World, as in Harry Potter, but now also obviously encompassing Fantastic Beasts. Uh, then after that, X-Men as a franchise, like the Fox X-Men franchise was the fourth biggest franchise ever, which kind of explains things like Dark Phoenix, because it's like, wow, I mean, basically, you're making a bunch of cash out of that shit? Well, fair enough, I suppose you just milk another one out then, because uh, Jimmy Bond, he comes in at number five. That's right, that Fox X-Men franchise made more money than all of James Bond ever. Okay, cool. Uh, DC Extended Universe, or a Cinematic Universe, whatever you want to call it, uh, is is next after James Bond. And following on from uh, Superman and Batman screaming about their mother's names, Middle Earth, their number seven. Jurassic Park at eight. And at number nine... <laughs> Nine. The Fast and the Furious. I mean, you look at the company. It's like that, that cocktail party. There's Dom Toretto surfing the buffet with a Corona in his hand, and all these other like wizards and and blinking dinosaurs and superheroes and you know stuff. And James Bond over in the bar drinking himself into an early grave. And there's this like muscle head with a fast car. It's like, what the hell is this? And behind Fast and Furious at the number 10 spot, Bayformers. I mean, Transformers. Essentially Bayformers at this time. And Bumblebee, which is good. So, uh, there we go. Now, the problem is... That's sort of thing. I thought almost Transformers are still a... Bayformers are still a thing in 2021. Uh, hopefully, one day, uh, it will be able to properly break away. Um, what's really weird is, as we said at the beginning, you know, Squid Game. I can see why Netflix might have an issue um, getting away from that. Like, to say, what can we do next now? I mean, even the guy who made it was like, well, I was only really planning one series. I suppose I'll have to do a second one now. Like that. Bumblebee, right, is a Transformers movie. Based on a popular tra uh, IP that you may have heard of about transforming robot motorcar things, yeah, everybody loved it. And the reaction of the studio to the unprecedented warmth and affection for this particular property is panic because Michael Bay had nothing to do with it. And they're like, how are we going to continue the Transformers franchise when the most popular thing is not by the guy who bought us all the money for the others? How does that work? Well, I'd, like, well, I'd give the guy who did that one some more money to do another yeah, one. It's that, not that would be my capitalist yeah. solution. Unlike trying to work out what to do with Squid Game now, that's not rocket surgery, guys, but you wouldn't believe it to look at them. Because where is Bumblebee 2, or whatever you want to call it, or the, the spiritual successor to that one? Where is it? It's nowhere. They don't know. Oh, there was a pandemic. We can't make a film about 
transforming robot motor cars. We don't know how. Uh, we've forgotten. So, you know, great. So, Thanks uh, for that. Um, sorry, that's nothing to do with Netflix. That was just like, how? Wow. How can you? It, is, it still manages to be the number 10 franchise, but not because anyone just by accident made the look of things. But the point is that the amount of money you need to slosh about for all of those, except Fast and Furious, and it, it is true that Netflix do have a Fast and Furious spin-off. It's a cartoon for children, but, you know, they, they sort of, yeah, trying to cash uh, in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess. Um, but it's like, okay, so maybe Netflix, at top ten, if you've been bringing that into the boardroom, I can't. I can see why you'd be scratching your head about what you could possibly get behind to do that. And the fact, well, these 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 are also all cinematic movies as well. They're, well, yeah, but they're talking about the franchise. That uh, somehow they've made. Well, I'm saying that, but all the all these have a cinema. I mean, cinema has huge reach as far as audience goes. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, cool. so obviously Netflix famously, if it made a film, it would stick it on its own goddamn network. Well, this is the thing. Well, this is the thing. You see, because you can see that possibly they have been thinking about this by all of their sad attempts at superhero things that don't really work but you know whatever so you say look if you wanted to do this then there are you know there are numbers below you know higher than 10 that still make a lot of money globally that you could probably rip off a bit better so um you've got at number 48 you've got the conjuring franchise which is now run to i think or three movies i think it's four movies which is like well that's amazing because like it's not the same as what we would what we talk about when we do the box office receipts where it's like well you put one dollar in you get ten dollars out even so the budget is still not very high so for it to be on the like the top you know top 70 list at all as a horror franchise is nuts so uh yeah so that's an idea like classy horror franchises uh, okay i'm just going to leave that there for a minute we, we can maybe set around here um now the kiddie animated one shrek toy story despicable me minions frozen incredibles ice age they're all in the top 40. Kiddie animated? Well, they certainly are trying some stuff like that. Again, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Born. And the thing about that kind of thing, low budget espionage action, I mean, espionage action doesn't have to be particularly high budget. It's at number 34 in the overall franchise rankings. So, you know, spy, that kind of born gritty spy stuff, not, you know, James Bond level. That that gritty spy espionage level definitely potential there. I would say it's 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 a it's well it's a it's a it's I'd still describe it as blokey yeah, yeah. Uh, viewing. It's, it's not a broad it's not a broad but it, audience it, appeal thing. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't matter because Bourne, Jason Bourne films, of which there are five, um, managed to get thirty four in the highest overall franchises in the world. Um, Get your reboot at some point, and uh, yeah, so there we go. And and then the last one, I mean, it's it's at fifty five, and there is a higher cost associated with it. But your uh, Godzilla King Kong creature verse that uh, they've been pitching over there, I think it's Universal. Fifty five, respectable. 
Well, just monster. No, well, the thing is, it's not a lot of not a lot of CGI. It is a lot of CGI. That is the problem, and they'd obviously necessarily have to go down the uh, first Godzilla movie route of having a lot of people talking in rooms and you know, trying to be and then you know hiding the monster, and then the monster turns up for a bit. You know, but it's just it's it's not so outlandish. Some the others are yeah clearly much easier. But there, there it is. Um, so, so that is those are the kind of franchises. So we're talking like sort of classy horror, kiddie animation, sort of gritty spy espionage stuff, and maybe something that is like. I mean, the fact is, it's more the concept of the creature verse. Yeah, you don't have to do well. You apart from anything else, Godzilla's already been taken. So. That's no good, but like I mean, if if you kind of ripped off or somehow made a sort of interconnecting web of sort of uh, vampire werewolf, like what Universal's trying to do, but failed utterly and fell on their face, mm-hmm. might work on a streaming platform. You know, you could push it. So there's that. Um, so you know, have they even ever attempted it? Um, do you know what the first ever Netflix productions were? Was House of Cards? No, no, not television series. Like their attempts at f- like just films. Because the thing is, they don't have films. You know what it was? Uh-huh. It was a thing called Beasts of No Nation, which was like a worthy drama. Uh, and their second film ever that was their production, was The Ridiculous Six, an Adam Sandler kind of comedy western. Well, I haven't seen Ridiculous 1 to 5, so I skipped it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that was a reason why some people didn't watch it, apart from seeing that Adam Sandler was in it. And also, it kind of be that's the problem with comedy western, is that it is still a western, mostly, unless you're talking about One Million Ways to Die in the West, which I think is more like just... You know, well, it was what it was, wasn't it? But yeah, so you've got those two. Um, and that was where they started. Um, and then after... Um, after that, we're, what we're looking for is something in these regions. So, uh, 2016, uh, they only really produced, well, they produced like four movies in 2016. Huey's Big Holiday, The Fundamentals of Caring, Ark, which is basically like another sci fi Groundhog Day, and their first non English movie, Seven Anosh. So, yeah. Okay, there we go, fine. Mm. And it just. Yeah, well, I, I actually, it was a little bit, and then it, it goes on. They get more and more. Um, so what we're looking for is is things that uh, come up in in these franchises. It just doesn't happen. Like their biggest franchise at the moment is um, the Kissing Booth, which has got three movies, and uh, a similar thing to All the Boys I've Kissed Before, which also has three movies. Nowhere. I have to be sadly inform you in the biggest franchises ever ever is there a sort of a YA chick flick even the Hunger Games is like really low down you'd think it would be higher but obviously there's only four movies it was kind of a one hit wonder I mean Twilight gets up there but it's been done sorry chaps yeah already over no one's ever going to make you're not going to need a TV series of it. Nope. Uh, you know, nope, never. Nope, nope. It's done. It's done. 
So yeah. Would you, I, I would. I, I would have said the same about Lord of the Rings, though. To be fair, but then again. Uh, so yeah, and, and just the, the story is there. I've got raw numbers because I just broke it down here. Uh, 2017, they did 14 comedy movies. And right, this is the thing. that's the big slice of the pie. That's you know when you say they're in financial trouble. And dramas, and by dramas I mean the kind Oscar bait, basically. I don't know why, but Netflix are kind of obsessed to an unhealthy degree for them. We know, doing the 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 box office stuff, yeah, the review. Uh, as soon as you step outside of comedy, horror, kiddie movies, you know, they're in real trouble like in terms of making money with movies and drama is certainly a big money hole so the fact they did 10 dramas 14 comedies five that could be seen as action thriller and five sci-fi three horror in 2017 is like i mean horror for god's sake what do we say about horror they should be making far more horror movies than they actually are Absolutely, my sister. My sister sponges those things up. She yeah. loves the, the cheap horror films. Um, and we got uh, basically. What did they say that had franchise possibility in 2017? One movie, Bright. You remember Bright? Oh God! Yeah, exactly, oh, God. exactly. You know, there was recent controversy. Everyone going, "Oh no, no, D and D's got to change its orcs because orcs are metaphors for black people." I was like, "Well, that that that's actually." I take exception to that. No, Bright actually went there. Yeah. Orcs are black people. Oh my goodness, this is problematic. Thankfully, no one really watched it. Yeah, well, no, it was. Dodged the controversy. Uh, So, yeah, so 2018, we got 32 comedies, so that's something, Um, I guess. But 25 that fit in the drama category. 25! There's no need. There's no need. Seven action thrillers. And to be fair, action thrillers are kind of expensive, so they shouldn't really be doing that. As Skiffy, like we know from the box office returns on sci-fi movies that we do in the thing, that, you know, basically, the 25 dramas, 7 action thrillers and 5 sci-fi movies that they produced in 2018 are all pretty much potentially buckets of money they're throwing down the drain. Because these are not things that make money. 5. And I'm... Five horror movies and three. This is where they start getting to family, three family, and uh, their franchise offerings in that year, the Cloverfield Paradox. No, God. I know, a Christmas Prince, the Princess Switch, to all the boys, Kissing Booth, the Christmas Chronicles, and the only one of those, right? That's a genuine kind of broad-based appeal franchise that's actually got any kind of legs. And it's not very many, to be honest, because of the stars. Christmas Chronicles has got two movies now when it looked like a one-off. And maybe it'll get a third, which will be really weird. But that kind of depends on Kurt Russell. Because without Kurt Russell, you've got no Christmas Chronicles. So if he's not in the mood, it's not going to happen. And frankly, why would he be in the mood? He's done it all. Macho Santa has done everything now. Have you seen either of those movies? I have not. I have well, not. if you ever I, want to see I, Snake Plissken, what would happen if Snake Plissken was Santa Claus? Watch him. I mean, how can you resist that pitch? Snake Plissken. I believe in Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Yeah. 
Uh, so there we go. So, uh, 2019, 34 comedies, good. 18 dramas, why? 14 action thrillers, again, why? Five sci-fi movies, at least we're not going to have brought up. Five horror movies. And one franchise offering, Second Christmas Prince. Seriously? Okay, so 2019, fight it off. 2020, 14 comedies, 38 dramas, 23 action thrillers, one sci-fi, seven horrors. At least we've got two more horrors in there. And 11 family movies. Oh, and plus three superhero stroke comic book style things, but they weren't really franchisey, as evidenced by the fact that the ones that would fit in the sort of franchise things are Princess Switch, To All the Boys, Kissing Booth, and Christmas Chronicles 2. There we go. And so 20... 2001 so far. So, so yeah, so 2021 so far, 83 comedies, 27 count them, dramas, 20 action thrillers, 5 sci-fi movies, 6 horror. Horror's actually going down here. 5 family, and the things we know have been entered so far as franchise offerings, Kissing Booth, they love it, All the Boys, and hallelujah, a horror franchise at last, Fear Street. Three horror movies based on R.L. Stein work, which I've watched well, the first one, perfectly serviceable. But for how long has it taken you, Netflix, to get a horror franchise on the board? If you were playing some kind of weird board game in which film genres or counters representing film genres with various properties and you had to place them on the board and you know buy them or generate them you would be losing that game because you've got very weak genres where you spent tons of money and then the ones where you like oh well these are actually broken because you spend very little money and then make a massive return I mean, admittedly, 33 comedies. It's okay, but comedy is, in a way, the weakest of the good ones. Horror, they should be pumped, like you just said. The horror should be being pumped out there. So that is, oh. that is where we're at. Comedy comedy is very cultural and doesn't really travel, whereas, whereas things are generally scary everywhere. I mean, I, I mean... When they say drama, are we talking drama? Two people standing in a room talking urgently. Yeah, no, it's all stuff like, uh, it's, yeah, it's all the things where it's like, well, you've had that one, Roma, and you had, I'm not, I, I didn't, you know, actively shove things into this category. It's things where it's like, um, based political movies, based on true events movies, where it's all about some depressing thing that happened. Nothing exciting. No, like, true crime or anything. I would have put those in thriller. It's all like this was a true story about people who had no knees who were very sadly discriminated on. Well, stuff you know. like you know, all this kind of stuff. It was. It's all. I am a good. I'm a good sucker for a documentary about a, a murderer being successfully caught. Not not. Um, these are fiction as well. Everything has to be yes, fiction. Yes. Everything has to be fiction. So that's, that's basically why I'm. So the documentary is probably doing all right for me. But look, I can. You know which way the wind is blowing. You know terrifyingly so that maybe they've hit their peak and right now it's just a defensive game to keep as much of the stake of the pie as they can but to persuade as many people as possible to also stay subscribed to them as they drift off to watch other things habitually uh, and I, I just feel like they're just kind of throwing things out there like just throw it all out there see what sticks because I don't get the feeling they quite know 
people necessarily want to watch. Kind of, kind of thrashing around a bit. I mean, if you're, if you're worried about your channel dying, I suppose just throwing out as much content as possible is definitely one solution. Yeah, they are I mean, trying to land things. I mean, I have yeah, I have to point out that the one thing that I did is because I couldn't get into the television thing because television is always less well kind of recorded, so it was harder to make a hard comparison between television and what's going on elsewhere in the worlds of television. This is movies to movies, and Netflix's movie game is very weak, whereas their television game is slightly they are basically stronger. just. Well, basically, just they are, uh, they are. They're where all the TV movies have gone to live, isn't it? Basically. Well, yeah, but then of course, certain of them get sniped by Amazon, Amazon Originals. So Amazon's starting to put out a lot of content at the moment. Um, Amazon have deep pockets, don't they? Yeah. I, one of the things that I'm kind of amazed by, because if we scroll back up, because the one thing, I mean, the thing that will really screw them. Is I'm kind of almost surprised. I don't know. Probably there's some deep thing, or I don't understand about finances because it's not my job. But I kind of think that Amazon might do well to pick up like Warner Brothers movie division or whatever. All, all these, all these fading old crusty uh, studios and all their IPs. Yeah, they can be snapped up by anyone connected to an internet shop. Yeah, because yeah. Because the the thing that gets me is that we've got in there Warner Brothers have Wizarding World, uh, and they have the DC Universe and all of those DC shows that end up on the television box, and and I mean, well, that's enough to be going on with. To be honest, I mean probably some of the other stuff is as well. No, well, Fast and Furious is Universal, Jurassic Park is Universal, uh, Middle Earth. Who did uh, Lord of the Rings? Oh, Amazon are already doing a Middle Earth show, so it really doesn't matter who. Yeah. So uh, there we go. But the point is, if they bought the, the you know, the, the company that has the rights to Harry Potter and the DC universe, that's it. You know, I mean, particularly if if Amazon becomes the home of the Arrowverse, that's what happened. Sky would be bereft, of course, but who cares about them? That's what's really sad in the Netflix situation. Is that the two giants that should really be squaring off are Amazon and Disney. And Amazon kind of slips by. Nobody really pays attention because Amazon Prime Video, of course, not of course, is just a kind of day. Amazon treat it as a bolt on to you getting next day delivery. You buy the next day delivery, have some television and films, including original content. Like, Amazon can Amazon can basically weather anything because they're indestructible. They're, they're, they're obviously they're, they're streaming channels, so yeah, they they can be they can be slow builders. Disney just have their IPs and it's what they cling to, and, and Netflix has neither. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, Netflix now it, has it is. Netflix now has Stranger Things, The Witcher, um, and now yeah, they have Stranger the Things. Obviously, everyone loves the first series of, of the Stranger Things, but these two seasons afterwards are just like they're, they're killing time until something else happens. It's like, it's like, oh, it, it's like it's almost like something big's going to happen in like season five or four, and in the meantime, we just got to kill time for some reason and just have characters run around for eight episodes. Uh, obligatory uh, Stranger Things sequels. It's still, I mean, it's still a franchise that's. I mean, people are, they still push. Oh yeah, we're going to do some more of that at some point. They, I mean, so obviously, people are kind of into it. I mean, and this is, we've come full circle because then 
you know, they've got all their plans. They've got Witcher coming at Christmas time, you know. They've got, um, you know, Stranger Things teed up probably sometime next year. They've got Sandman teed up for next year. They've got all of this stuff. And then some weird Korean thing about people playing playground games comes along and blows everything they thought they knew about the kind of content that they wanted to make out of the water. Oh, stand by for the Squid Game clones. I mean, also, I mean, Standman it might be one to look at because Good Omens made a big splash. I believe that was Amazon, wasn't it? Uh, Good uh, Omens was Amazon, and and to be fair, Amazon had a bit of a mare because they did Good Omens, which went over very well. And did you watch that? I don't. Um, no, I didn't. But have I, you read I've, the book? I've seen. You, of course, I've read the book. Right. Okay. You, I don't know about. Of course, sometimes people. Uh, like, weirdly, we I discussed thought, it together in our childhood. Lear, what are you talking about? Well, I, I discussed yeah, it with a lot of people in my childhood. But the point is that what I came to find out was that I was alone in that, and so were you. Like a lot of people, a lot of people were like, "Oh, is that based on a book?" When the TV series, I was like, "Oh my god, what the hell? It's by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett." People, come on. Um, but yeah, that, that's the world we live in. So they did that, and it was very positively warmly received, even by fans of the book, because unlike something like, say, Hitchhikers, it is sufficiently different to be different, but sufficiently the same to be, oh yeah, I remember this. I mean, it, they really trod the line of oh, good it, 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 it's, it's so much good, but also it had the sort of tenant sheen bromance going on, which all the fans absolutely adore and probably ship. Uh, so, but the thing is, it's completely unsequelable. Well, it, uh, it, well, except that they are making a season two, and Neil Gaiman is even like, look, the only problem with this, apart from the global pandemic, which has kind of put the knackers on things, is that if we make a, a sort of good omen season two, which is going to focus more on on Crowley and Azarafel, I want it to be a product that Terry would be happy with. Yes, yes, and I, exactly. And Neil Gaiman is a safe pair of hands, I believe, for that job. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so. I mean, you know, uh, much much to my distress and horror, fulfilled uh, Terry Pratchett's uh, wish that all his hard drives be utterly destroyed so that none of his unfun unpublished works or unfinished works can be published posthumously, which, which is just absolute horror for me. But, you know, that's dedication for you. I, so I, well, I kind of respect that as well, to be honest. I respect it too. At the same time, it's like, oh, but one of the best things about Tolkien was we've got, got to look at all his pocketbooks. I, I guess. I mean, it's definitely not the same thing as um, Prince's vault of unreleased recordings, which I believe is still the subject of some kind of legal war. Because musical art, well, Prince in particular has probably got enough, you know, platinum potential material squirreled away in that vault. That he just didn't feel like releasing. But writers, it's a little bit different. I mean, Pratchett's decision is probably based on knowing about what happened to Tolkien's notes. You know, Martin's Okay, uh, Leo, uh, we live in Bizarro World and you've mysteriously wound up being Netflix's sole proprietor and owner. So, what are you going to do to revive the fortunes of your flagging super channel? Well, all money out of making action thrillers. Because they're expensive and nowhere guaranteed. I would actually pull the money out of sci-fi projects. 
because again, light action thrillers seems like a good idea, but can often tank, which is something you can't afford. It's the, if you're risk averse, definitely not. And certainly stop producing bloody, the Oscars hate you. And drama is fine, but an art is fine, but Disney in particular were like, well, maybe we accidentally make art, but really we want to make money. And that is the ethos of entertainment makers. Maybe it's got artistic merit, but really we just want to make money. That brings us a nice big pool of making um, horror franchises, series and movies of making uh you know more comedies it doesn't matter that it doesn't travel because you can make they do multilingual content so content from all over the world they seem to have a really good handle on making anime netflix this is and korean television dramas because if you look at through their catalog of originals on both of those scores they're scoring really well um and yeah. therefore like i said there was a niche, there's a niche there's a niche audiences as much as lots of people watch anime these days i'd still say they're somewhat niche audience they are but the point is that the those audiences who want to see those things are coming to for that and will continue to subscribe for more new content than those things and korean television soaps i mean korea has about the same population as you know britain so you know whatever yeah in the us we need you to hit home but I don't understand this idea of trying to make like a name for yourself as a purveyor of quality, you know, drama. It's like you're not the BBC. I understand why the BBC wants to be seen as artistically relevant when they're paid for by tax, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. They have to justify we make stuff that like that we make dramas because people like Netflix have to make money and we don't. So we want to be public service. Yeah, you know, we're a public service. Yeah, no problem with that. Okay, but Netflix need to pull their finger out and stop making stuff. I mean, for God's sake, right? They spent a bunch of money on that YA uh, fluster cluck, um, Shadow and Bone, which was like really mediocre, but clearly for Netflix pushing the budget a bit. Absolutely ridiculous. So you know, that's what I would do. I would say, look. We know well. The thing is, I've got the benefit of having sat with you and gone through the box office returns uh, for all the you know summer releases for several years. Essentially, that's it. The, the The plan is let's just pump out those things that we know make money and be damned with any weather anyway. Kiddie content that's not desperately pathetic, like all of their family movies, with the exception of the one about the machines. Uh, which was made by Lord and Miller, which was obviously a delight, but not very kiddie engaging. Like, as an adult, I found it to be entertaining, but it wasn't the Lego movie by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, it was a Lord and Miller passion project where it's like, okay, but then the kids didn't really spark to it. So, what can we do? Yeah. So, that's what I would be doing kiddie stuff, comedy stuff, horror stuff. And then only, only funneling money into things like sci-fi or action thriller if the price was right and the hook was potentially there for some kind of franchise. I mean, Amazon have actually done that with series. They've had Treadstone, Hannah, Taken. 
god, they've had so many things which are just like, oh yeah, this is this was a movie, and we're going to see if we can turn it into a television series with you know mixed to bad results. But the point is that Amazon have got exactly that, and they've got more money to play with anyway, and yet they're doing exactly that thing that Netflix should actually be doing. So. Ultimately, what you're saying is you, you would rule Netflix like the harshest accountant ever, and you would essentially go, what's the biggest return on investment? And you wouldn't be concerned with tentpole uh, projects, you wouldn't be concerned with this is going to make a big splash and get lots of news because of, of the topic it's covering. Uh, you would you'd just purely be a case of like, I spend $5, I get $15 back. That would basically Oh, yeah, be no, fault. absolutely. Because apart from anything else, that press that wasn't coming in about how fantastic our drama program was, which frankly is not great news anyway, really. I mean, people are like, well, well done for you. I'm very happy for you. If the Generally, people's, was... reaction, people's reaction is just like, yeah. Good for you. That sounds nice. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to watch it. The news that says, well, Netflix, that haven of trash, just full of stuff, is trying to keep the crowds pleased. Oh, we hate it. People are just like, I'm going a subscription to that. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That bad press is much better than the good press would have been. So there we go. But does that return on investment, does, does the, is that going to retain subscribers? That's the point. That's the whole point. You, you they, the, the subscribers need to be, I don't know what's coming next. Because the point is, right, what they've got me for at the moment is the fact that um, they've had enough content previously and I've had not a lot to do. But I may as well keep going on. But honestly, you know, if the amount of new content matches the way that it's been recently at some point, it might be, well, I've got my Disney Plus. I don't really need, and I've got my Amazon, which is, with the Prime, do I need Netflix anymore? And the answer to that, actually, now that I'm having this conversation, is starting to be no. I don't need. I don't need Netflix. I need Disney Plus. I don't need Netflix because it's not. And then, yes, yeah. I was just. I was, I was just thinking. You know, if Netflix went completely bankrupt and all its properties were up for people to grab for bargain basement prices, like IP, would I want to snatch off from here? What the franchise track? do I want? To is good. Yeah, I mean, as long as the second series is good, because the animated film was apparently awful and I skipped it because it was an animated film and uh, people told me it was terrible. I mean, I really didn't need to. But the first season was great. And if the second season is also great, then that's the one. You know? Other than that, the Umbrella Academy can stop where it is. Travelers already got cancelled. Um, you know, Stranger Things, maybe someone would pick that up. And then everything else, as Slash Dot famously says, nothing of value was lost. <laughs> this, well, there we go. And if people want to tell us that if our entire uh, uh, archive was wiped from the internet, a similar thing might be said, where might they go to insult us, Nassian? Well, uh, one place you can go to tell us that you don't go to our Facebook page would be our Facebook page. You can find on Facebook forward slash groups slash 80s kids. Uh, and please go there and like our group page. We put a link to a podcast there. Join, in fact. Join us. Join, join us. You can subscribe to us free. You don't have to, no subscription. Just let it sit there, guys. Just let it sit yeah, there. Yeah, just let it sit uh, there. But 
podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards blogspot.com, in this case, the80skids.blogspot.com, and there you will find a complete archive of our every single show ever, which you can stream from the Internet Archive or download to your PC for dark reasons of your own. But this is not the only place we can be found on the Internet, is it, Leo? No, we stream 24 hours mostly, uh, by this time actually of this show being going out, we're probably uh, sharing time with Geeks of the Round Table, but we've also on uh, uh, Geek Towers Radio, uh, which you can find a player for on our aforementioned archive, um, and, and you know, it will be growing more and more shows, so you know, there'll be less and less AD kids, but we're never not going to be on Geek Towers Radio. That is for certain, as long as Geek Towers Radio exists and is a thing. Uh, so there's that. Um, and also, you know, sometimes I could be found doing streaming, uh, twitchtv.enomkony, E-N-O-M-K-O-N-E-Y. So that's a channel that you can check out when I'm there, although I've not been there that much. I've got a blog at leostableford.blogspot.com. Uh, you know, all that stuff. It, it's not hard to find. Uh, you know, not hard to find an 80s kid if you really want to find one and then listen to them whiffle on at length about various topics um so yeah so that's fine and this of course is the end of us whiffling for this season although we do have a, a metasode uh, left up our sleeves uh to come which is is going to oh, be joy. all of that stuff that we we're talking about i mean you were talking uh, a few episodes ago about um about you know how you weren't really watching a lot of telly, you were doing more you know role playing and, and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I think this is still worthwhile uh, as a as an exercise, uh, but we'll talk about that more in that metasode when we get to it. Uh, and and indeed, what is the future? What is the future for the eighties kids? Once again, are you always asking that question at the moment? Um, I really enjoyed the shows that we did uh, with a third party, that being Mr. Mike Nudd. Uh, we did absolutely. Those were great. Uh, we would like to get some more guests on. In fact, we've had people queuing up. Although you know our recording schedule has been somewhat choppy this time round, so it's a bit difficult to integrate yes. other people into it. But yeah, uh, it's been a it's been a fine season, and I think uh, the thing about it is that rather than trying to develop, I think the next season should be like this season, but better. And that's nice. I prefer that. Just just. Be better. Uh, yeah. Be better, everybody. Just, just, yeah. just be better. Uh, so, what are you? What are your thoughts? Having uh, uh, recorded uh, most of the season, we have one show left to do. Although it's a surprise for you, you'll already have heard it out there in Listenerland because of the weird way in which we have to slice these things up, and due to various technical accidents. Um, so, I can't really mention much about how special that show was because we haven't recorded it yet, and it's a surprise for Ian. But uh, of the shows that you have recorded, which is almost all of them except that one, how do you feel the season has gone, Ian? Uh, it's gone fine. It's it's been a, a it's felt a bit weird this time because we've had such a long break and we've come back into it. It's almost like I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it at the same time because we've also had a lot of breaks between sessions as well for various scheduling reasons. Uh, so it, yes, it's. It's it's been like it it wasn't happening and then it was suddenly all at once uh, and I still don't feel like I because I, I know we've got only one more show to record but I still feel like I'm halfway through it for some reason yeah very, it's, it's, very bizarre 
is or well, it's because we also pile it up until it's almost all there before we start to release them. Uh, so at this point where we're recording, we've only done one metasode. I've got another metasode left to go, and then it'll start to drip feed through. So they haven't gone out yet. Um, I think the other thing is that uh, next time we have a recording schedule, probably do more night recording because the clocks are going to change. And the other thing that is uh, relevant, I think, is that I have been giving rather large gaps between recording sessions to give you a chance to catch up on uh, films that we were going to discuss during the podcast, which you then didn't watch. You're a little bit like Simon Mayo to Mark Commode for that. Mark Commode keeps asking Simon to watch various films, and Simon Mayo never, ever, ever does. So, you know, you don't need to feel ashamed of that. It's There's a venerable tradition of co-hosts who, like, just don't watch the movies that the other waffler watches. Uh, what, what is a podcast, by the way? No one's ever really explained the concept to me. <laughs> but, yeah, all that said, uh, I'm going to have to, because of the night recording thing, go off and go to sleep now, for I shall surely be woken at an early hour by a small boy demanding uh, cereal. Um, and what are you going to do for the rest of the day? I assume there's a birthday party and then you said something about some role-playing. There's a family party, there's a role-playing, which may or may not happen, but there's a role-playing thing this afternoon and then I've got to go make dinner. My stepmom, because she's got a fractured wrist, and then I'll be scraping my mum. I'm non-stop all day. So wow, gosh. Well, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You know, watch out for their monster trucks, that's all I'm going to say. And, and other than that, I'm going to say bye-bye, everyone. See you next year. Ha <laughs>